God is so good, isn't he? I mean, he is so good. You can't be a Christian for any length of time and say God is not good. He is so good. He's good all the time. Those words were as true the day when Jesus walked the earth until now. Actually, from the day of creation, he was so, from all eternity, let's put it that way, from all eternity, he is so good, he will never cease to be good, and we don't take advantage of his goodness, do we? If you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow with the TV screens up there, we're going to continue James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 19 through 27. And today I'm going to continue, this is part two. I don't know how many of you were here on February 16th. It's part two of the title, The Word in Action. And I will finish with the last two points. I suggest for those of you who were not here for point one on February 16th, to go to our website and listen to it so you can get the whole idea of the message. Our website is sonshipbayridge.church. Can we put it up there? Do we have it up there? It's in the bulletin. Okay, it's in the bulletin. church, and you could listen to the whole entire message. And in our text today, James, again, pulls no punches. You ever read the book of James, you see that this man, he's not like many of the preachers today. This guy pulls no punches. He says in this text we're going to look at today, do the word, bridle your tongue, take care of the oppressed in society, and don't let the world pollute you. Bam, 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 bam. He continues shooting at us with his proverbial machine gun, striking us with bullets of Proverbs. You know what these bullets of Proverbs are for? They're for our sanctification and Christ-likeness. And if you want a blessed life, let these proverbial bullets pierce your heart and kill you. Let it kill you. Let it kill the old you, the old nature, so you can rise to a new way of living that is actually pleasing to God. Live out your salvation that God has worked in you. Be doers of the word which will define and shape your life into Christ-likeness. Please stand with me for the reading of his word. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's what we looked at the last time. Here's where we will continue. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion, James says, is worthless. Religion that is pure 
and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes, our hearts to receive your word so we can actually become doers of the word, not just hearers only. Touch each and every one of our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now I have a good friend. His name is Bob. And Bob loves and serves the Lord. And before Bob came to faith in Christ, this man was a violent man. He was angry. He was revengeful. He had very little emotion. Matter of fact, to this day, the only reason why he has some emotion is because of Christ in his life. But you didn't want to double-cross Bob. That's what characterized Bob. Violence, anger, revenge, emotionless, etc. And then Christ got a hold of this man's life. And he began to change. He began to love and he began to forgive. And when he came to faith in Christ, he actually did this. He drove an hour and a half to Long Island, to his cousin's house, to ask for her forgiveness. As a matter of fact, when the husband of the cousin saw him at the door, the wife took his children and ran and hid. The husband came to the door, opened the door with the chain and said, what what, what do you want? And he said, I want to see your wife. And he said, well, what's this about? He said, just let let me talk to her. So he called the wife and the wife said, I'm not coming out. Finally, he convinced them to come out. And when she finally came to the door, he asked for her forgiveness and said that he was a Christian and found out now that she was a Christian. You see, the word of God now characterized Bob. And one of the characteristics of the word of God that described Bob was his repentance. What characterizes you? When people think of you, what do they think of? Do they think of you as a Bible believer? Do they think of you as being like Christ? Here's the main thought of this passage. If you truly want a blessed life, let the word of God characterize you. The last time I spoke, it was point one. You know the word of God characterizes you when you receive it. That was verses 19 through 21. And we saw that when you receive the implanted word with humility, you know, I like the way James says that, with humility. You can't receive the word of God with arrogance. You can't receive the word of God being proudful and egotistical. You have to receive it with humility. And he said it's able to save your soul. Now, he's talking to Christians, so we, we understand this as salvation that didn't only happen at when we came to faith in Christ and our justification, but It's consistently saving us. We're being sanctified every day. And one day we'll be glorified. And we we saw when you receive this word with humility, you're going to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and you're going to put away filthiness and wickedness. This is what the word of God does. And when you are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and you have put away filthiness and wickedness, it's evident that God's word is characterizing your life. In other words, it defines you. It defines who you are. Christ is being formed in you. And today we're going to look at points two and three. 
Point two is, you know the word of God characterizes you when you do it. And point three is, you know the word of God characterizes you when your religion is pure. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So let's look at point two. You know the word of God characterizes you when you do it. I'm going to read verses 22 to 25 again. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James just told his hearers, the previous verses, to receive the implanted word, which was able to save their souls. And now, if they truly receive this word, the word of God, if they are genuinely saved, they'll prove it by continually doing it. Let me make something clear. James is not suggesting to be a doer of the word. You know, in other words, he's not saying, I want you to consider being doer of the word. The Greek word for be, be doers, be, is genomai. And first, it's in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. Okay, so James is actually commanding his hearers. And secondly, it's in present tense, which means it's a continuation. It's a continuous action. So James is commanding these Jewish believers and us to continually be full-time doers of the word, not part-time. No such thing as a part-time doer of the word. Now, he's not commanding like a dictator would command his people, you better do this or else. No, no. James' command is encouraging us to continue to do the word so it becomes a habit. And that's the goal, that the word of God in our lives becomes a habit. Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest says it's like in his expanded New uh, Testament, expand, it's called expanded translation of New Testament. He says it like this. Moreover, keep on becoming doers of the word. Keep on becoming doers of the word. This is a process. And we need to grow in that process. And the Greek word for doer means one who does or carries out. And that's what we need to be. The word doer carries the idea of who you are rather than what you do. It's defining you. In other words, you could seemingly do the word without it really coming from your heart. It's external rather than internal. It's what Jesus said to the Pharisees who had a very good appearance of doing the word. And Jesus said, Jesus looked right to the heart. He said, you know, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that was me before I was a Christian. Excuse me. Before I was a Christian, I honored God with my lips. My, my heart was far from him. John Calvin said, The doer is he who from the heart embraces God's word and testifies by his life that he really believes according to the sayings of Christ. Luke 11, 27 to 28 Jesus said, as he was preaching, well, actually not him, a woman screamed out in the crowd. She raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God 
and keep it. And keeping it means doing it. There's another parable that Jesus told, and I think illustrates our point well today. In Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32. And he says, what do you think? Talking to his disciples. A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. I mean, it's an obvious answer. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. You see, the point is this. Doing is rewarded, not just saying it or hearing it. The Jewish leaders always prided themselves that they obeyed the word of God. But when Jesus came on the scene, they rejected him, the very living word, and proved that they were all talk and no action. Are you a doer of the word? Dr. Warren Wiersbe said, too many Christians mock their Bibles, but their Bibles never mock them. (laughs) On the contrary, James admonishes us to not be hearers only. Now, he's not saying that we should not hear. He said not to be hearers only. We first have to hear the word and think about it and meditate on it and let it sink into our hearts first. But it cannot stop there. The word must travel from our mind to our hearts and then into immediate action. Otherwise, there can't possibly be a change in your life. In Ezekiel 33, God said to the prophet Ezekiel that those who were exiled, that even though they heard what Ezekiel said, they had no intention of obeying the message. Let's turn to Ezekiel 33, verses 30 to 32. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. You see, they loved to hear the way Ezekiel spoke. They loved to hear it, but it wasn't enough to obey him. A hearer is one who listens to what is being said or taught, but don't feel or believe they are required to obey the word. They're the same ones that say, Lord, Lord, but don't do what the Lord says. After Jesus' long sermon on the mount, he said these cutting words in Matthew 7, 21 to 27. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? 
They did all the right things. It seemed anyway. They did all these mighty works. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Not I once knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, a life built on the word of God will ultimately never fall apart. A life built on anything other than Christ and his word will fall apart no matter how good life appears to be. Let me make something clear. Jesus nor James is suggesting that works are needed for salvation. But what he's saying is it's evidence of your salvation. Some come to church and hear a sermon, and we'll use Pastor Brian, because he occupies this pulpit most of the time. They come to church, and they say, oh, Pastor Brian, what a great message, and walk out those doors unchanged. Elder Pat preached a fantastic message last week. Some people may have walked out that door unchanged. They said, oh, Pat, how great that was. Maybe he walked out unchanged. The message was rightly interpreted. The application was clear. Even their hearts were overwhelmed with conviction and encouragement. But they never applied what was preached. Tragic. Anyone can say anything they want. I can say, I'm a bird, I can fly. But I can't fly. I can say, I'm the President of the United States. But I'm not occupying the Oval Office. I can say, I'm forgiven of my sins, but I've never trusted in Christ. I could say I'm a Christian, but I don't continually obey the word. Are you a doer of the word? Does the word of God characterize your life? James says if you don't obey the God's word, and these are very strong words. He says you deceive yourself. Satan's not deceiving you. The world's not deceiving you. You're deceiving yourself. It's self-deception. Hearing the word only translates into deceiving oneself. A person can think he or she is right with God, but in reality is not. Don't be deceived. Take inventory of your life. James now proceeds to give an illustration of the one who hears the word only and does not act upon it. In verse 23 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now in ancient times, there were mirrors that were made of polished brass, maybe copper, maybe gold or silver. They were not like the mirrors, the glass mirrors we have today. And when you looked at yourself, what you saw was a dim, warped reflection. Some of us rather have that dim, warped reflection. <laughs> so you really had to look at yourself intently back then. So you could see what was going on on your face. 
you couldn't just glance at it. You had to study the image and get a good idea of what you look like. Mirrors then, as imperfect as they were, and mirrors now, they just don't lie. Sometimes, especially in the morning, we wish they did lie. We wake up and we say, good morning, Lord. Then we look in a mirror and shout, good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) The wicked witch, remember the wicked witch in Snow White? She kept telling her, uh, the, the mirror kept telling her that she was the fairest of all until who came on the scene? Snow White. Mirrors don't lie and will show you exactly what you look like. And James is saying, if you hear God's word and walk away without obeying it, it is like looking into a mirror and walking away and immediately forgetting what you look like. The word of God at that point, walking away and not obeying it, has not and will not change your life because you didn't obey it. When you look into God's word, it shows you exactly who you are, a desperate sinner in desperate need of a great savior. I, like, I really like what Dr. Kent News said. He says, in James, the mirror is God's word. And when we look into God's word, we see the heart of our birth, ourselves as we really are, our very souls. We not only see that we are sinners, but we begin to see the awful depth of our sin. Previously, our conscience shows, shows us, showed us part of the picture. But now we see there is no part of us which is not tainted with sin. Though I had an active conscience before coming to God's word, I only saw dimly what I was. But the mirror of God's word revealed the truth and continues to do the same. It is also true that God's word is a mirror that God allows us to gaze upon himself. These two reflections of self and of God paved the way to seeing the necessity and the way of salvation. And that's what the word of God does. It really helps you to see who you are. When I read the word of God, listen, I'm encouraged by it. But a lot of times I see the depth of my sin. And I'm not happy about it. But God is gracious. And as I'm reading the word of God, I feel his grace overflowing my soul. Hearing God's word is necessary. Reading it, listening to it, preaching it, teaching it, that's all necessary. Maybe going to a Bible uh, conference is necessary. But the knowledge in our heads will do no good unless it grabs our hearts and provokes us to action. Don't forget what you look like when you look into the mirror of God's word. Do it. James says a little later, on which we're not going to look at today, but I'm just going to show you part of it. He says, faith without works is dead. Amen. In your, if, if your faith is genuine, it will result in obedience to God's word, which is synonymous with doing it. If you don't do what James says pointedly, you deceive yourself. Now I want to make something abundantly clear. The only way to do God's word where he is pleased is by faith and love for Christ. That's what's acceptable for doing the word of God. Faith and love for Christ. Without faith it is impossible to please God. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Have you become cold towards God? Have you lost your first love? As in the book of Revelation, Ephesus did? Well, 
you can do something, you can confess it, repent it of it, and let God fill your hearts with a fresh dose of his love. Don't allow yourself to stay on the self-deceptive road. One commentator said, any response to the gospel that does not include obedience is self-deception. We have a lot of self-deceived people. There's a lot of people in... I, I, I speak to a lot of people who claim to be Christian. And I, I don't, listen, I'm not the judge. I don't stand in anybody's final judgment of their salvation. I can only, like the song says, I only know what I see. A man only knows what he sees. But there are people that claim to be Christians, but you never see them doing and obeying the word of God. I'm not talking about struggling from time to time. We all do that. I'm talking about people where it does not characterize their life at all. I could look at some of you, and I know, because I know you, that the word of God characterizes your life. Conversely, James says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hero who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And much of the American church today has been duped. The destructive word of faith teaching has infiltrated the pulpits. Their idea of blessing is having your prayers answered based on your, really, selfishness. But James shoots another proverbial bullet into our hearts and tells us the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, this is the one who will be blessed in his doing. If you truly want a blessed life, let the whole word of God characterize you. If the word of God defines a believer's life, This is what you can be sure of. He or she examines it and obeys it. James calls the word here the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, is he speaking about the Mosaic law or is he speaking about the gospel? Because sometimes, you know, when you read things like this, he could be talking about the law, the gospel. But I think he's speaking about the gospel here because the law without Christ is really bondage. And he's calling it the law of liberty. But the gospel of Christ brings liberty and freedom. Paul said, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Legalistic religion brings bondage. But the gospel brings freedom. But he can also be speaking about the revealed word of God. Jesus didn't abolish God's holy law, but he fulfilled it. We are not saved by obeying the law, for the Bible is clear. We're saved by grace through faith. A man is justified by faith, faith in the Son of God. Before you came to faith in Christ, if you attempted to obey God's command, it was done out of fear and a sense of duty, which is unacceptable to God. As Christians, you obey God out of love for the Savior. As the psalmist says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. John said... In his first epistle, the fifth chapter, second and third verse, he said, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, that's the difference, again, between religion, adulterated religion, and a truly saved, redeemed person. 
Doing God's will is not burdensome. When I was, before I was a Christian, when I was just a very religious person, it was always a burden. Oh, I got to go to church on Sunday. Oh, let me get that. Oh, I got to fast on a Friday and not eat meat. You know, it was always a burden. This is genuine freedom in the spirit. There's this wonderful freedom to serve and obey Christ. The believer now has the law of God written on his or her heart. And the Holy Spirit enables them to obey. Is that an amber alert? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, when J- whether James is speaking about the gospel or the law of God, I think the result is the same. The gospel frees us to obey his commands willingly and joyfully. Now, I, wanna, I want you to see the progression here in James' thought. First, you need to hear the word, as we already talked about. Then James says, we look into it. In other words, we examine it. We stoop down and take a good, close look at the word of God. And then James says, we persevere in it. We remain with it. We continue with it. We don't just glance at it. Too many of us glance. And some, some of you may wonder, why can't I remember scripture? Because you glance at it. You need to meditate on it. You need to think it through. You, need to, you know, I love what Pastor Brian told me one time. He says, he, he, he gets to a point where he, it, something he really resonates in his heart and he just keeps going over it. And that's why he could come up here week after week and have that sharp memory and, and it, just, it just flows out of his mouth. Don't just glance out of the word of God. The more you examine and study the word, the more you internalize it, and the more it will transform your life. So the progression is, hear it, but don't stop there. Examine it, don't stop there. Continue in it, don't stop there, and do it. By the way, it's a continuation of doing God's word, as I said before. Not, well, I did it yesterday, I'm not going to do it today. I'll give myself a break. You deserve a break today. No, it needs to characterize your life. You, you can do each step, but if you don't do it, James says, you're a hearer who forgets. But if you do each step, and now you obey the word, James says, you're going to be blessed. An unbeliever who was religious may try to do God's word, but will never be able to please God, even if he or she looks good externally, as I said before, because his or her heart is unregenerate. It's unconverted. But the true believer obeying the word of God, God himself promises that you will be blessed. The Lord told Joshua, the first chapter, the eighth verse, right before the the Israelites entered the promised land, He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, and here's the beauty of it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua, you're going to take the promised land. You're going to remove a lot of the nations, but I want you to take this word, meditate on it, and do it. When you obey God's word, you will be fulfilled 
because God's desire has now become your desire. The psalmist tells us when we delight in the word of God, we prosper in Psalm 1. And then the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's going to be easy when you delight yourself in the Lord, when you're meditating on his promises, when when you're understanding what he's saying. You're going to be blessed. And it's going to be so wonderful in your life. You don't have to wait for the blessing, but as you obey God's word, you will be blessed as you do it. And the blessings, guess what? Are going to follow you all the way into eternity. And I'm not talking about material blessings. I'm, not, I'm talking about the spiritual blessings God's, God has for us. Sometimes God blesses us materially, but I think here the main thought is the spiritual blessing. Point one, you, don't, you know the word of God characterizes you when you receive it. Point two, you know the word of God characterizes you when you do it. And point three, the final point, you know the word of God characterizes you when your religion is pure. What does that mean? Verse 26 and 27 again. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, ouch, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, the word religion in our Christian culture today has a very negative connotation. As a matter of fact, there was a song, I don't know how many of you remember this song, written by Scott Wesley Brown in 1988 called, I'm Not Religious, I Just Love the Lord. I don't know how many of you remember. How many of you remember that song? Nobody? I'm the only old man in this place? Yes. Wow. Okay. Nobody. Anyway, go look it up on YouTube. Uh, For the most part, religion has this bad idea in modern Christian, in the modern Christian mind. And rightfully so, because many today will call themselves religious, but it's all external. Dr. Kurt Richardson describes it like this. Religion is used as both the characterization of a way of life that embodies bad faith, and also a way of life that embodies true faith. One can seem to be religious, that is, rightly related to God, and yet, in the most basic way, be failing to be so. Religious refers to outward acts, giving to the needy, fasting, praying, worshiping. And and James is not denying any of that stuff. He's not denying that that that's wrong. Matter of fact, we need to do these things. But it's not coming from a heart that has been redeemed. If it's not coming from a heart that's been redeemed, guess what? James says it's useless. And James gives us evidence of pure religion in another round of proverbial bullets. Control your tongue. Care for the oppressed. Be unstained from the world. And if these three are not present in one's life, no matter how much they claim to be religious, James is saying it's worthless, and again, that person is deceived. We don't want to be deceived. Especially, we don't want to be self-deceived. Even if the person is doing these things that are biblical, if their hearts are not right with God, as one commentator said, it's like pagan idolatry. The first test of pure religion is controlling the tongue. Now I'm not going to go in, I'm not going to get into all the nuances of speech because when we get to chapter 3, James speaks extensively about the tongue. And that's 
That's a hard chapter to read. I don't care how long you've been in the Lord, that is a hard chapter to read. A great barometer of one's heart is your tongue. You want to see what you're made of? Listen what comes out of your mouth. Jesus said, what comes out of of the mouth, this defiles a person. Even the best Christian can struggle with this. But James doesn't make excuses for not bridling one's tongue. In other words, he's not saying, sometimes here's what we do. We're just weak. You know, we str- every, every Christian struggles with this. James is not saying that. He's saying, bridle your tongue. Amen. On the contrary, on the contrary, he says, bridle it, not make excuses for it. Just the way a rider puts a bit in the mouth of a horse and is attached to the bridle and the reins, which controls the horse's direction, James says, put a tight rein on your tongue. Holy speech or unholy speech, will control the direction of your life. Many lives have been destroyed because of unholy talk. We know that? Do you know that? Many relationships have been unrepairable because of the pollution that comes from the tongue. Divorce, broken families, broken relationships because of uncontrolled speech. Wars have started Wars have started because of unbridled tongues. We need to be a people who are slow to speak and think, think, think before we speak. Too many times we speak before we think. The way you lead a horse with bit and bridle in your mouth, lead your tongue. Direct your your tongue. It doesn't mean don't talk, but navigate your words into righteous talk. For example, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a a harsh word stirs up anger. Now I know I've put this into practice many times. And every time I put it into practice, it works. I could be arguing with my wife. If I say a harsh word back the argument flares up. If I say a kind word, peace. Bridle your tongue. The second test of pure religion is care for the oppressed. James says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Affliction In the Greek means trouble, distress, hard circumstances, suffering. In other words, these are those who have deep need. Orphans and widows in the Old Testament, in ancient times, are all who were in need. That represented the the needy. And James says to visit them. But he's not talking about just stopping by for a quick visit. But genuinely care for those who can't care for themselves. We ought to visit these people. The, the oppressed. It's not just orphans and widows. It's anybody who's in need. Not just stop by for a quick visit. The Lord told Israel, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. doesn't mean just because you didn't beat up somebody. You're mistreating them. When you turn a deaf ear to someone who's in need, that is mistreating them. They were to be proactive in their concern and help of the needy, as Deuteronomy 14 tells us. 
James unpacks this a little more later on when he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, James says, what good is that? Your faith and professed religion, James says, is useless. Useless. James said in the Gospel of Matthew when he returns in glory and he separates the sheep from the goats, the true believers from the unbelievers, he will tell the believers to come and inherit the kingdom that was prepared for them, for they helped the needy, as where the unbeliever or the professing believer did not. The point is not that they're good deeds for the needy and oppressed merited them salvation. He's not talking about that. But it was, again, evidence of their salvation. It was the fruit of their salvation, not the root. Anyone who claims to be a Christian but consistently turns a deaf ear to the needy needs to test themselves to see if they are truly saved. Brother Pat brought that point last week. He said, see, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And finally, the third test of pure religion is being unstained by the world. When James says unstained, the Greek word comes from the idea of morally spotless, pure in character. The world can stain a Christian if he or she is not careful. When the Bible speaks about the world, sometimes it's the word cosmos. And sometimes it means the created world, the mountains, the streams, the rivers, the valleys, people, animals, fish. It can mean just God's created world, which is beautiful. He's not talking about that here. Most of the times in the Bible when a word is cosmos, it's talking about the world system spearheaded by Satan. It's the unredeemed world. We've got to be careful of getting involved with the fallen world system. Believers must learn how to live in a world that hates God without being corrupted by it. We must hate this world system. 1 John Chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, the world today thinks nothing of killing unborn babies, saying it's a woman's right. They're polluted. The world is polluted. Some churches have been stained by this world. Gay marriages by gay ministers, they've been stained. Marxism is creeping into the church. Liberalism is in the church. And I could go on and on, but time will not permit me. And here are some of the the ways that you can be stained by the world. And I'm going to give you the most obvious. Be careful of what you watch on TV. Please be careful. If you have no self-control of what you watch, maybe it's time to get rid of it. What movies are you watching? Oh, but I take my children to the PG movies. Well, some of the PG movies are filled with witchcraft. And you don't want to expose your children to some of that. What music are you listening to? I'm not saying that you have to listen to all Christian music. I like to listen to the Young Rascals, okay? When my wife goes out of the house, I put it on, I blast it. 
I like the Beatles, but only some of the Beatles. Uh, some of the songs, certain eras that I, I stay away from because it was filled with drug and a lot of drugs. Let's put it that way. But we need to listen to Christian music. We need to listen to the old hymns that are steep in theology. We need to listen to some, even the newer contemporary music, but good ones. We need to be selective of what we listen to, even when in Christian music. And if you're going to listen to secular music, make sure it's nothing that will stain your soul and pollute your mind. And where do you spend most of your time? That tells a lot. So let me summarize and then we'll conclude this third point by what Dr. Kent Yu says. He says, it is so easy to become self-deceived by our religiosity. But James shows us that acceptable religion is three-dimensional. First, it means keeping a tight rein on the tongue. We must be free from gossip. We must be free from gossip. We must be free from slander. Or, he says, our religion is worthless. Second, true religion means hands-on caring for the victims of the pressures of life. Third, acceptable religion is a pure life. The three dimensions of acceptable religion involve our words, our hands, and our hearts. And then he goes on to say, may we live a life in all its dimension Christianly. And let me conclude here. None of us, by any stretch of the imagination, are going to be perfect in this life. The only one that's perfect is Pastor Brian. That's because he said that about me once, so I feel like I have to you know, reciprocate. Now, he'll be the first one to tell you he's not perfect. <laughs> hey, I work alone here, okay? But a genuine believer wants God's word to characterize him or her. And you strive for that. Paul said, I am not perfect, and I'm paraphrasing, but I strive for that perfection. That's what he said in Philippians. I strive for that perfection. So nobody's claiming perfection here, but we strive for that perfection. And we don't use the excuse, well, I'm weak, I'm just weak, or I'm... We strive for perfection. And when we fail, we repent and we get up. A righteous man falls down seven times, and guess what? He gets up seven times, and he keeps going on with the Lord. So here's what to do. You receive the word of God, as in point one. You do it, as in point two. And you let your religion be pure, real, and not hypocritical. Point three. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for James' honesty. We thank you that we need preachers like this to be honest with us. We need people like James to just shoot these proverbial bullets into our hearts that will kill us, but raise us to new life so we can live in the holiness that God wants us to live. God, help my brothers and sisters here. Help them, God, with their struggles. And God, I pray if someone doesn't know Jesus Christ here as their Savior, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts, that you would convict their hearts, that they would turn and trust the Savior and turn from their wickedness because you will freely forgive them. Help us, God, as a church. Help us to not slow our sanctification down by being disobedient to your word. But help us to love your word. Help us to know that it's not a burden to obey you.
but it's a delight and a joy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.